Hello and welcome to the Predictor Podcast, a podcast that talks about the unpredictability of sport and life. Each week, we delve into the journey of our guests, discussing their past, present and unearthing their predictions for the future. Join me, Paul Furness and Scott Taylor as we explore the role sport has to play in tackling the challenges of everyday life. Here we go for another episode of The Predictor. Joining us on episode three of the Predictor podcast is Lancashire and England women's cricketer Alex Harley. The Blackburn-born bowler opens up about the extreme highs and lows of her career. Alex reveals a strange gift she sent a teammate during lockdown and how an unexpected situation started her career in the media. Here we go for another episode of The Predictor. First of all, welcome to uh, the Predictor podcast, Alex. Um, myself, Scott Taylor and Paul Furness. Um, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, I don't, I've not seen much about your guys' podcast and I was looking earlier and I, I, do I have to guess some football scores because I don't know anything about football? Um, unfortunately, you do, but... <laughs> But you, any any guess doesn't matter. We, we, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Just a lucky <laughs> guess, and we'll be, you'll be fine. Don't worry. Um, um, I'll give it a go. <laughs> um, one of the first questions that we ask our guests um, is around um, predicting and and having control of, of decisions and and having control of, of, of what you do, you know, in the in the future. Um, or are you someone that doesn't have control? Does, likes to go with the flow a little bit, but. Knowing you, Alex, and, and having done a little bit of research around you being a captain of, of a cricket team, and me, for me personally, I've been a captain of a cricket team as well, I presume that you are quite good at predicting, especially when that coin goes up in the air and you're having to choose whether heads or tails. I Is mean, that right? Is that I mean, correct? you are... <laughs> You're completely wrong, actually. I'm sort of the <laughs> person that goes with the flow. Um, I got 10 out of 10 tosses right last season, but it didn't mean that we were going to win every game. I think we only won two. Um, but no, I'm definitely the sort of person that just goes with the flow, sort of have the attitude of what will be, will be. And as long as you're happy, um, nothing else really matters. I bet you get a bit of pressure from the uh, from you obviously the players whether it's batters or bowlers around the toss would depend on the pitch obviously do you, do you feel that pressure at all? Um, well, it was my first time captaining last season, um, and I definitely sort of felt the pressure, sort of felt responsible for everybody else. We've got quite a young side who made me feel very very old. Um, but yeah, there's always pressure that comes with being captain, and always pressure that comes with you know having that role model sort of role in a team um but yeah like I, I'm just always myself and and hopefully you know what will be will be and it's most often than not you know good what was your go-to was it heads or tails do you know <laughs> let you into a little secret before every toss I asked a different member of the squad if I should go heads or tails heads or tails <laughs> yeah, so it was always always a mix. So some people obviously got heads, some got tails, and I don't think I actually called one myself all season. 
next time, Alex, what I want you to, what we want you to do is don't ask any of the of any of the players. We want you to go with your own gut, and then we'll see what happens. Right, okay. <laughs> um, so, as you said, there are um, there are some fixtures that we want you to predict, and we're going to test your prediction ability. If that's okay, across a number of different sports. Don't yep. don't don't be worried. Honestly, it's fine. The first one will hopefully be nice and easy for you because. Uh, it's New Zealand versus uh, England in the women's cricket. Well, I'm obviously going to go England. Um, although the way their warm-up game went last night, I actually have no idea. But I'm I'm going to go England. I'm going to back my gut. What, where's uh, Where's England cricket at the moment? Um, obviously, you mentioned about the performance last night. Give us a, just a bit of a, an understanding to the people that obviously are into into women's cricket as much as probably obviously yourself. Where, where is England England's cricket at the moment? So the England women are out in New Zealand um, playing three ODIs and three T20s. Um, they haven't played an ODI for 18 months now. They, play, they last played last Christmas over in Kuala Lumpur. So it's, it's a big ask. Last summer was obviously a, a disrupted summer. They had the West Indies come over for five games, um, five T20s, and one of them ended up being a five-over game. So it's going to be it's going to be a good competition for England, having having not played a decent block of cricket for, for so long. So, yeah, fingers crossed they go well out in New Zealand. Bro. Um, the, the second uh, second fixture is Tottenham versus Everton, women's football. Uh, uh, Everton Everton okay any reason any logic for that I like the colour blue <laughs> if that if that's your logic I'm happy with that <laughs> um, the third fixture you've got the seven stars versus the Manchester Thunder and the netball oh I'm going to have to go Manchester Thunder because I'm from Manchester we chose that one just specifically for you. So I thought we thought you'd go with Manchester there. Yeah. <laughs> um, the fourth one, we've got Derby County versus Nottingham Forest. The reason why we've chose this one, there's a number of our listeners that are Derby fans. So um, I'm sure the listeners will probably want you to go Derby, but we'll let you, uh, let you choose. Make you, well, make in that decision. Case, well, in that case, I'll go Forest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to have any listeners for this. <laughs> <laughs> and then the fifth one and the last one, we've got Wales versus England in the rugby. Gosh, I don't think I've ever watched a rugby game. I don't know if any either are any good. I'm going to go Wales. That, yeah, we're definitely not going to get any listeners. <laughs> <laughs> That's my plan, you know, get rid of other podcasts so mine gets a bit better. <laughs> Thanks, thanks for that, Alex, and uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, you get a few right. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Don't forget, you can join in the fun and take part in the Predictor Challenge, all for free. Five selected sporting fixtures for you to predict every week, with monthly prizes up for grabs. Check out our Twitter, at PredictorPod, and Instagram to get involved. Have you got what it takes to top the leaderboard and be the undisputed predictor? Let's take it all the way back to the start, as we do with all our, our guests. So from an early age, Alex, would you have ever predicted that you'd have gone on to achieve what you have done? No, not at all. It, it was always um, a dream to play cricket for England and it was always something that 
I worked really hard for, had a lot of ups and downs in, in my career um, until I made it. But no, never in my wildest dreams did I ever think it was possible. Um, just probably purely for all the knockbacks that I had had in the past. Um, yeah, never thought it was going to be possible. So obviously, talking about like growing up and not, not thinking or not predicting that you'd have gone on to, to play for England... Talk us about in the early ages. I hear you played football at quite a good level. Is that right, left winger? I was, and if you saw me play football now, you would not believe me. <laughs> so how did that work with obviously playing football? Did you play that alongside cricket? Yeah, I did for a couple of years, and it got to the stage where I was busy every single weekend of the year. And I think we got the Burnley fixtures through for football and my mum looked at them and said, right, this is, you are taking the mick now. You either have to pick one or the other because this is not fair on your brother who is younger than me and not very sporty, who got dragged around every single weekend. And it, it wasn't fair on him really. So it was football or cricket. And to this day, I don't know why I chose cricket, but I'm, uh, I'm obviously glad I did. Brilliant. Obviously, in terms of, you say, growing up, what was that experience like for you? You'd have played against a lot of, of boys growing up in, in both football and, and cricket. I've heard you speak on other podcasts before about that mentality and that that challenge, I guess, that you have to go through when you're doing that as a, as a woman in a, playing a man's game. Just talk me through that for a mental kind of thing growing up. What did that give you? What skills do you think embedded in you playing against boys at an early age? I think it's in the long run maybe really resilient because you turn up to games and you're playing against blokes and boys and you're always the team that's got a girl and they're going to be crap because they've got a girl in their side. Um, and you still get it now. Even when I play men's club cricket now, people are like, is she not the tea lady? She's actually playing. <laughs> so like you, you have to have this resilience about you. You have to have this strength and I don't think I would be the person that I am now if I hadn't played men's cricket because it, it, it had to make me tough. Do you think that's changed over the past few years or from when you were younger to now? Obviously, women's sport is going from strength to strength across numerous sports. Do you think the, the attitude is changing towards women in sport or do you think it's still got a long way to go? It's definitely changing, but it's still got a long way to go. You only have to look at, you know, certain football accounts or twi uh, Twitter accounts, you know, England cricket. They post about the girls and you still get the dinosaurs that are like, does anyone care about this? And I don't care if you don't care, but why are you voicing your opinion? Because like, to me, I'm doing my job and it's the same as a bloke and you wouldn't slate him. So why are you slating me? So, yeah, like I said, I think... Well, we've touched on this before with other guests in terms of women's sport going from strength to strength. Like I said, there's still a lot of work to be done. When you were growing up, who who did you look to in women's sport as a bit of inspiration or role model? Um, to be completely honest, I didn't. Um, I always followed men's sport, always watched football, cricket, and it was always men's men's sport. And I honestly didn't know England women had a women's side until I got sort of in the environment. So it was all a bit of a bit of a shock to me I'd, maybe I was one of the dinosaurs as well <laughs> <laughs> so like I've seen you retweeted something I thought was brilliant it was I think it was down in Australia a, a group of young lads were watching a women's game and they knew all of the stats and actually we're probably getting to a point now where women are actually becoming role models for some young lads as well and not the other way around so just talk me through your your thoughts on how you see yourself as a role model I think my my job as a, a so-called role model is just to 
encourage people to take up cricket and enjoy it and and sort of motivate the next generation of of males and females to play the sport obviously we want more girls to play and we want more females to be involved but I think the more we can get boys involved as well and the norm is to see girls playing cricket then we'll get the likes like we see in Australia and New Zealand the, the boys looking up to Elise Perry and Sophie Devine and they're they're open about it I'm not quite sure we're there yet but that's only because we've only just become professional so we are we will get there eventually so Moving on, your Lancashire Academy, England Academy. You talked earlier about your resilience. Just talk me through that that week where, correct if I'm wrong, within a week you got dropped from Lan- uh, England and Lancashire. Obviously, probably not not your best week in life. But just talk me through how that made you feel. Yeah, I didn't think it would get worse, but it does. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of those. So I got picked up from the England Academy when I was 15, and I was seen as the next best thing. Um, but I didn't work very hard. I just thought I was the next best thing, to be completely honest. Um, and I didn't realise how much hard work it, it it took. So at the age of 17, I think, I got dropped from the England Academy and then a week later from the Lancashire Academy. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. It was sort of a – it was a wake-up call that I needed. Um, and I knew that I would never stop playing cricket from that moment because I was like, right, okay, well, what I'm going to do now is I'm just going to change – how I go about things. I'm going to work hard. Um, I'm going to prove people wrong, which is what I've had to do for the most of my career as I was always that girl in the boys' side. Mm. So, like, there's quite a lot of crossovers in terms of, Scott, you'll know, when sort of players at football academies get released at that, that sort of age, it can be actually quite daunting for them to have to go out to the real world and stuff like that. Did you get any support from England or the club when you got released at that time in terms of your next steps? No, not at all. You sort of just get released... And you go back to school. I mean, you obviously carry on at school. Um, but luckily, I had the support of my parents and, and they sort of funded me. Um, I had lottery funding for a while as well, but they sort of funded my life so that I could um, really try and try and make it as a cricketer. And it's, it's interesting you talk about funding. I, I heard a story, and I don't, you'll have to tell me if it's true or not, that um, when you were looking, when you were younger, uh, you, your mum was buying you equipment and you having to hit... Uh, you had to hit a four for pads or hit a six for helmet. I thought that's quite, that was quite funny in terms of you talk about resilience and, um, and and showing that you can be, you know, the player that you want to be. Uh, just talk to talk to us about that story. Yeah, so I sort of picked up cricket and did everything as a kid, gymnastics, football, hockey, like tried everything, swimming. And it was always one of them. My mum and dad got sick and tired of people going, she could be really good at this sport. And they were like, not again. Like we literally hear it all the time. Um, so when I started playing cricket and they were like, oh, she could be really good at cricket. My mum was like, I'm not buying her any kit because that was expensive. You know, it's like £200 for a cricket bat when you're a kid, which is a lot of money. So she said, if you're going to play cricket and you want to play, you have to play for a while. And every time you take a wicket, hit a four, hit a six, take a catch, a stumping, whatever you had to do, I would get a piece of equipment. And it took me three years to get hit a six to get my helmet. <laughs> I'm still, it, I'm still waiting to hit a six. <laughs> <laughs> when I did it, I celebrated like we won the game, but I hadn't. I just, I just knew that I was going to go to the shop and get a new helmet. Scott had a similar thing growing up with a football, but he still only got a shin pad, so he's still waiting for like, <laughs> the rest of his equipment. So, Alex, you got obviously going through that, getting released and stuff like that. Did that knock your confidence in any way? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely did. You. You sort of think well maybe I'm not good enough maybe maybe I don't work hard enough 
maybe this isn't, you know, what I'm going to do. And I sort of had, I don't know, I always give myself a bit of time when you get knocked back just to try and get your head around it. Um, but because I was so young, I was only 17, I sort of thought, well, actually, I can probably go out with my mates at the weekend now and get get booty with them and sort of enjoy my life a little bit more than I had been. So it, it sort of gave me a good balance in life, but then sort of made me realise, actually, I, I need to change the way I'm going about things to to make it if, if I'm going to. So you made that brave decision, really, then, didn't you, to go to Middlesex? Did, yeah. And, and- I've heard you speaking before about that in terms of it being a new group of people who didn't know you. You're going into a new environment and you almost, I guess, reinvent yourself. Yeah, I sort of thought, Lancashire were in Division 2 and if I wanted to play for England, I I had to be playing the best standard of cricket that I could. So I was like, right, I'll go and play in Division 1. I'm not going to play for Yorkshire because that's just not allowed. You can't say that, Alex. Why not? (laughs) I can't have a Lancashire and playing for Yorkshire. I'd get stabbed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so I sort of like picked an it picked a team out of a hat realistically um and no that's, one, that's club, one that's one way of doing it by the way picking picking clubs one that was you know in London um but nobody knew who I was so I could sort of go down there and be whoever I wanted to be and and really start start again and start the hard work again got a question from one of the listeners Becky Furness asked would you class yourself as an introvert or extrovert oh 100% an extrovert so did uh, that I, still, was you still an extrovert then when you went into that new environment new sort of out your comfort zone you still maintain that extrovert personality yeah 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 I, I don't get faced by new environments or, or new people I, I sort of I'm very I'm just I'm just myself and I'm very outspoken I'm very out there that moment did come in terms of that, that England call-up, that must have been a brilliant feeling. Yeah, it, it was sort of a feeling that I didn't didn't think would ever happen. I'd, I'd got back onto the academy and I was sort of just a net bowler for England women or, or I thought I was a net bowler. I never, never thought I was in the running to play in that, in that Pakistan series in 2016. And when the coach pulled me to the side, he just said, I'll see you on Monday. And I was like, what for? He's like, you're in the Pakistan squad. We, we meet up on Monday. And I was like, Oh, are you joking? <laughs> I was like, you're telling the wrong person because you sure you <laughs> Alex Hartley. Like, but it was it was just something that I never ever thought would happen. Um and I think I just burst into tears to be completely honest. <laughs> you hear across all different sports when it comes to representing your country for that first time, the debut, people say it's like the best experience, the best feeling, the most momentous day of their life. For you, I, I believe it was exactly the opposite. Yeah, um, <laughs> everybody texted me the night before being like, enjoy it, it's what you've worked hard for, you really deserve it, nobody can ever take this away from you, this will be the best moment of your life. And honestly, when I got on that pitch and started going wrong, I was like, you are all liars, because this is not what it's lived up to be, because this is, representing your country is awful. <laughs> <laughs> But it was just, it was just, I was just performing really bad because the occasion got on top of me and I felt there was so much pressure for me to do well and prove everybody wrong that had told me that I wouldn't make it in the past. So I was like, right, well, I have to do well here. Um, I'm overcome by this occasion. I've got my family, my friends, you know, everybody's there watching. I'm too busy thinking about where they're sat rather than what I'm doing. Um, 
And I just bowled really bad. And the first ball that came to me went through my legs for four. And it honestly, it just couldn't get any worse. Is that on YouTube, Alex? I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us on then to after that, your debut, you must have been quite low, knocked your confidence. How much of a boost was it then to get selected for the West Indies tour? Yeah, well, I was really down. I, I spoke to my mum straight after the game and I, and I I was obviously quite upset because I thought I'd, I'd ruined my moment. I thought I'd sort of been given the opportunity and, and that would be it. I'd never get it again. Um, and the coach actually later on said that he would never he was never going to pick me again because I, I was that bad. But I'd had a really good domestic competition. So he, he sort of had to take me. I was leading wicket taker in this competition. So he had to take me to the West Indies. And when we played the two warm-up games, the same thing happened. I just couldn't bowl. I was just so overcome. And I just thought, you know what? This isn't meant to be. These three Lions are just not meant to be on my chest because I just I can't cope with the pressure. Um, and the coach said to me, where were you a year ago? I was like, probably going to Cavos or something to be completely. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the club, I don't know. Um, and he said, well, where are you today? And I was like, in the West Indies, playing for my country. He said, you've always dreamed, dreamt of it. You're playing in the first ODI enjoy it and that was sort of a moment that sort of flipped my career on its head and I just sort of started playing for the enjoyment and rather let the rather than letting the occasion get on top of me I just was like this is what I've always dreamed of this is amazing. Did, did you have um, did you have access to, to sports psychologists was that something that you were you were potentially going to put yourself forward to um, going through that period of time? Yeah, we do have access to sports psychologists, but I hate them. I think they overcomplicate. <laughs> right, okay. I think they make you think about things you don't want to. Um, I think they ask questions that aren't necessary. I know they can be helpful and they do help a lot of people, but for me, I'm better when things are just simple and I and I concentrate. I sing a song in my head when I'm bowling and I'm best when I do that. Which is really <laughs> annoying because if it's a rubbish song, I hate myself for the rest of the day. <laughs> You spoke there about going to the West Indies. That brings us on to another question. James Tomlinson asks, the best place you've ever travelled to with cricket? Gosh. Um, should I say Derby? Or... I think you've already well, you angled can. quite a few of those followers anyway with the Forest <laughs> comments. I don't think you'd be welcome there, to be honest, Alex. <laughs> the best place I've ever travelled... Honestly, it's really hard because everywhere's different. I would never have had the opportunity to go to India and Sri Lanka if it wasn't for cricket. So I'm going to say one of those two. So I'll go with India. When you're out on tour, are you allowed to sort of go and experience the, the local culture and stuff? Or is it quite rigid? You've got an itinerary with the, the England setup, and that's all you do? Or No, you're allowed to experience what's out there as long as you're in a safe place. We were in um, Jamaica at one stage and there was there was one part that we couldn't go out. We had to stay in the hotel. But other than that, um, when you're in India, Sri Lanka, you know, Mumbai, Colombo, you're allowed out, but you have to be in twos. Um, But other than that, you have as much freedom as you want. You know, you you train in the morning, you have the afternoon off. So it's amazing. You know, I've, I've seen turtles hatch on a beach in Sri Lanka, which obviously I would never get to see if it wasn't for cricket. You won't get that in Derby. <laughs> <laughs> how did you um? How did you deal with the uh, conditions in in India and Sri Lanka? Because obviously it's a, it's more of a, a spinner's paradise, isn't it? Really, within them countries, and obviously within this country, we, we very say very rarely, but there's only a certain amount of, of pitches that do um, allow more spin than, than others. What? what how, how? How did you deal with that? Yeah, I think there comes quite a lot of pressure as a spin bowler being out in the subcontinent because you're expected to do well. Um, And I think 
for me at that point in my career, it was sort of do or die when I went out there. Um, I've been a few times, but later on in my career, 2019, it was you have to do well or you're going to lose your England contract here. Um, and that sort of pressure got to me. And I don't think I took a wicket the whole tour. And I thought, oh, for goodness sake, like it's happening again. Like yeah. this is, I knew I was going to get dropped. Um, so it's just, if you're like in my personal experience, if you just enjoy the moment and you, you're just there and enjoying it with your friends rather than thinking of what might happen, you're going to play better because if you're thinking, well, this person's going to take my spot, well, you're concentrating on them, so they probably will take your spot rather than concentrating on yourself and just, you know, having a laugh with your mates. How much of the other team do you sort of focus on or study? So, for example, if you are playing a team from the Southern Hemisphere, how much do you look at their spinners? Because, like, today, I think um, all the 10 wickets were taken by our spinners in the second inning. So how much do you pick their brains or study their actions? Yeah, it's, it's always good to have a chat with other spinners. It's always good to talk talk to um, other spin bowlers, whether or not, you know, you're Sophie Eccleston, the world's best spinner that plays for England alongside you, or you're one of the spinners from the subcontinent or Australia. I think it's always good to get their point of view and, and look at how they do things. But equally, when you're in the subcontinent, all the net bowlers bowl spin and they bowl pace, they bowl right arm, they bowl left arm, they do everything. And I've learned a slower ball from picking the net bowler's brains and just say, well, how do you do it? And they show you how they bowl a slower ball. So you think, oh, actually, I might give that a go. Um, and it's just little things like that that can really, you know, help you. And just it's also like being polite and chatting to people. And the one thing you have in common with net bowlers in India is cricket. So brings us on sort of to some of your past. We'll move on to like probably, well, correct me if I'm wrong, career highlight. Winning the Women's World Cup in 2017? Yeah, 100%. Can't look past that. You know, it, it was what I dreamt of as a kid. And it, it was honestly just the best feeling. So it's pretty, some turnaround really from your debut to then going on to win the World Cup. That's quite a roller coaster. It is, and it, and it sort of all happened within 18 months. My, my England career has been split up into two halves. One half, I was the world's best and I was really good. The other half, I was proper crap. <laughs> At least you're honest. <laughs> so take us back then. So before the final, how sort of how did you predict or how did you plan prepare for the actual game itself? What what went through your mind? Just take us through that build up to that that occasion. Yeah. So the psychologist actually asked me to go for a coffee with him, having um, not spoke to me the whole tournament. He said, "Do you want to go for a coffee tomorrow?" I said, "Absolutely not." <laughs> Are you joking? You didn't speak to me when we played the West Indies three days ago and you didn't speak to me when we played in the semi-final. Why, just because I'm in a World Cup, would I want you to tell me how big this occasion is? I know how big it is and I don't want to talk about it. I just want to play cricket and just pretend it's just another game. Um, So for that, I sort of planned for that because I said no about meeting him. And you sort of do your plans and you look at their batters and, and how they've gone in the tournament and where to bowl. Um, but for me, it was a case of takeaway early night um, and tomorrow is probably just going to be the best day of your life. So enjoy it. So then obviously, <laughs> talk us through the celebrations afterwards. What what went on? How how did you celebrate? Um, actually, one of my biggest regrets in life. Um, I drank a bottle, um, a magnum of champagne on the lap of honour and don't remember a single thing after that. <laughs> So I was in bed by about nine o'clock, spewing up into a cigarette bin. Um, and 
<laughs> the whole thing about the World Cup, I, I hate myself for it, was singing the team song in Lord, at Lords and bouncing around and having a great time. And I swear to God, we didn't spend any time in that dressing room, but apparently we were in there for hours. I don't even think Freddie Flintoff would do that, would he? <laughs> Alex is the Freddie Flintoff of the women's game. That's it, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It's probably another reason I don't play for England anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So obviously, bring that sort of whole segment to a close, Alex. If you had to pinpoint or identify one person who you think has been important and integral throughout your past, who would you say it is? Um, there's probably been a few, but more recently, Kate Cross, my best mate. She, when I was at my darkest time, when I lost my England contract, she was there for me. She was there for me throughout my whole England career, even though when I made my debut, I actually took her place in the squad. Um which is which we always laugh about. It's always me or her. Um, but yeah, she's been a real rock to me over the last two years. And and yeah, she's she's given me a new perspective of the old cricket game. Now then, that brings us right up to sort of present day. How how have things been for, for you for the past year? Obviously, I don't think anybody would have predicted this whole pandemic that we found ourselves in. So how have you found it and how have you dealt with it? Um, I've loved it, to be honest. You are the, the first only person, person that has. Yeah, I've never heard anybody say that. Why? What, what's, what's different? Um, I, I went travelling before the pandemic and I went to um, America for a month and a half and I went to Australia for a month. So I came back really, really fat. So when we had to spend the whole of March and April locked in a house, I was like, well, this is fantastic because nobody gets to see Pat Alex. <laughs> <laughs> she can just lose some weight and nobody needs to know about it. You were Joe Wimsey's best friend then. <laughs> yeah. But in all seriousness, I think it's not that much different to being a professional sport sports person anyway. You sort of, you go running, you do your gym, you play cricket, you're at home, you don't work because your work is, you know, working out and playing cricket. So my life hasn't been that much different. The only thing that has changed is that there wasn't as much cricket to prepare for. So we only played six games last summer and normally we'd, we played so many more than that. Um, so obviously there are times I've been fed up and I'm bored. I've, I've found this lockdown really hard. And I think it's probably just because of the the dark nights. You know, it's cold. I don't, I don't really want to leave the house. If <laughs> so obviously you talked then about the planning of the cricket. So the 100 was all set to go ahead. And obviously the COVID pandemic sort of put pay to that. How did that disrupt your plans in terms of your training schedule or you know your day-to-day existence as a cricketer yeah it, it sort of it it ruined everything really so I had my playing contract that obviously that income had completely stopped I wasn't getting income from playing cricket and my media side of things had completely stopped because I was due to commentate on the 100 so I sort of went from going into 2020 thinking oh you know what I'll, I'm not playing for England but I'll earn a decent wage I've got so much work to having absolutely nothing so was a bit of a kick in the teeth um but the right call was made we couldn't have played that 100 without overseas players and the world's best players coming over so fingers crossed it happens next year or this year um but yeah it it was obviously a real shame it being cancelled but selfishly I hadn't played cricket for I think it was 163 days so it was just a year nearly a year um and I wasn't ready to play in a competition with the world's best players so I've had an extra year to prepare (laughs) You just spoke then about the contracts and whatnot. Obviously, COVID it had a real impact in women's cricket because the 40 people were meant to get term contracts. 
Obviously, that got cut down to, to 25, is it? Obviously, you were one of those. How did how was that news coming through to you? That must have been a, a huge relief or a huge sort of taking that pressure off. Yeah, we were supposed to start our contract in April, I think, or maybe maybe June. Let's just go with June. And it was like two weeks before and we hadn't heard anything. Um, so I went to the press and said, this is ridiculous. Like, we haven't heard anything. Um, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm earning no money. Um, so they sort of said, oh, God, we didn't think of that. We'll, we'll contract a few of you. Um, and when they say they'll contract a few of us, yeah, it was barely enough money to cover your bills. So it wasn't really, you know, you think you're contracted, you play cricket for a living. It's not really living the high life. <laughs> do you think that was more of a PR thing then for, for these of you in terms of like they're offering that olive branch out or do you think it is there to make a genuine difference? It's definitely there to make a genuine difference. I just, I just think because there was so much going on and obviously the ECB were panicking about all the other things that was going on, you know, we weren't the priority, which is, which is completely fair. Um, we sort of took a back seat, but, you know, it was getting to the point where I would have had to get a job in Tesco, you know, and I wouldn't have been able to play cricket any longer. That relates to a question from Greg Peters. If you weren't a cricketer, what job would you do? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, luckily now I commentate and I work in the media on cricket, but that's because of cricket. Um, I remember when I was about 17, 18, maybe even later, I asked my dad, what do you think I would be if I wasn't a cricketer? And he said, a stay-at-home mum. So... <laughs> That's doing nothing for the gender stereotypes there, is it really? <laughs> no, so cheers, Dad. Um, faith that he's got in my education and that went on in my life before cricket. But honestly, I don't know. And, and I'm sorry I can't answer his question, but I will work in the media after cricket. So, finishing sort of the present, captain in Northwest Thunder. If we spoke at the very start of the podcast about it being your first experience as a captain. Talk me through now the way that you predict or plan for cricket differently to when you was just a regular player. Yeah, I think I sort of got thrown in the deep end with the captaincy. Obviously, I'd lost my England contract. I wasn't in a great place mentally. I wasn't even sure if I wanted to play cricket ever again. And they were like, do you want to be captain? Um, so it gave me a different outlook on life. And, I, and I've said to the girls, and I'll always say to the girls, I don't care about winning and losing. I, I want us all to remember why we started playing cricket in the first place. And that's because we enjoy it and we love it. Um, people that play cricket, everybody's a cricket badger. You know, everybody is. Everybody loves it. Um, and just because it's now our jobs, I don't want people to forget the reason why they started. Um, so for me, if we're happy, the re results will come and we'll build a really good team environment. But yeah, I think because of the experiences that I've had and heartbreak and disappointment of losing that England contract I, ju I just want to enjoy it and, and selfishly I want to inflict that on everybody else have you, have you taken any tips or techniques from captains that you've played under previously to take into your captaincy sort of yeah you, you always know that you there's certain captains you don't want to be like you know you don't want to be that captain that's throwing their arms in the air if a decision goes the wrong way or a bowler doesn't bowl well um, but my mum said to me before I started being captain and I, I got asked to do it, she said, be the captain you've always wanted to be captain by. And that really stuck with me because then I was like, oh, actually, like, I can be whoever I want to be here and I can influence the girls in whatever way I want. So, yeah, cheers, mum. I was going to say, that was a great, thanks, Mrs. Hart, a great piece of advice there in terms of captaincy. I love that. 
to obviously bring in the present to a close throughout this pandemic, throughout COVID, who would you say is your one person who's been supportive and helped you through the past 12 months? Oh, 100% Kate Cross. I mean, There's you know. There's email, I like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, like that girl is a gem. We, start, we started our podcast because I needed something to distract me from cricket so she was like, right, well, let's do that. That'll keep you happy. That keeps your mind off things. Um, when we're in our darkest days in the middle of the first lockdown, she, we would send each other presents every week. Just just a card, just a... I sent her a potato one week, for goodness sake. Like, <laughs> no, she wasn't very happy. She was like, what the hell am I going to do? This want. The possibilities are endless. <laughs> Huge thank you to Burton Mind, the official partner of the Predictor podcast. They will listen, give support and fight your corner as no one should have to face a mental health problem alone. Check out their website www.burtonmind.co.uk for more information. Alex, in terms of in terms of the future, what, what, what are your predictions for the future? Obviously, you talked about, um, you know, we talked about the captaincy, we talked about the playing side, you mentioned about the commentary as well. What, what the fu- what's the future looking like for yourself? Um, the future for Alex Hartley is quite daunting, isn't it? Um, as long as I'm happy, I don't care. You know, I've, I've hit rock bottom in the past 18 months. I've been there, I've done that. And as long as, as, long as I've got a smile on my face, I'm enjoying what I do, I'll play cricket for as long as I can. And I'll try and build my media portfolio. Um, but as long as I'm happy, I don't really care what I do. How, how did you get into the media side? What was? How, how, did you put yourself forward like you did when you went to Middlesex? Or how, or how did it come about? Um, it came about a few years ago, actually. I commentated on my first men's T20 game. Um, Isha Gua couldn't commentate because of a family reason or one reason or another. And I was already at the ground. So she said, do you want to do it? And I was like, all right, okay. And I remember being on air and Joss Butler hit a six and Henry Moran said, what do you think about that, Alex? And I just nodded. And he was like, <laughs> you're on the radio, Alex. You have to say something. <laughs> um, so that was, it seems like my first experience that everything goes tits up. So um, <laughs> I think it's just something that, you know, I love cricket. I'm a cricket badger. I'll, I will watch whatever cricket is on the TV. And, and if I can talk about it for a living, then, then I'm living my best life. Who out there at the moment on, in the media circuit for cricket, who, who do you think is a good pundit or you know, a good broadcaster? Yeah, there's, there's, there's loads. Nasser Hussein's really, really good. Um, I've, I've often sat him down and, and said, like, where can I get better or what can I do? Um, Alison Mitchell, um, someone asked me a few weeks ago, if you could go wherever you want in life in media, who, who would you want to be and why? And I said Isha Gua. I think, you know, she, she had an England career, but she's now built a media career and, and she's seen as one of the best in cricket. She commentates on cricket around the world, presents TV shows for cricket. Um, and that ultimately is probably the dream. The level of detail that they go into when you're watching it on, on Skyweather is phenomenal. I don't think there's a sport out there that goes into the amount of detail when they're looking at analysis, they're looking at stats, they're looking at techniques. Do you think other sports can learn from cricket in terms of, how they move forward with their their coverage? Um, yeah, but cricket's a very unique sport. You know, the, the stats are quite crucial in cricket. You know, you, you sort of, 
look at the India England series that we're going that's playing at the minute, and you say the spinners have taken all ten wickets in the second innings, but the pitch has a certain degree of turn coming off it that didn't happen on day one, which which makes things crucial and the, the pitch changes. Um, I think we see in football now a lot more than we did people using analysis and you know using the big screens and the pens and I think I think it's really good and really interesting for a, a listener and a viewer to to get an expert's point of view on on why things are happening the way they are. It's interesting you say that because when you talked about um, the sports psychology and not wanting too much detail and then you've got cricket which is a ridiculous amount of, of detail there's surely going to be a balance especially when you're captain that you, you don't go over the top and you you're playing off stats rather than playing off technique if that makes sense it, I, I, how do you how do you cope with that I, I presume it's yeah. quite difficult 100 percent. we have we have meetings before we play games and we get all the stats up from the games before and sort of we decided then well which stats are important to us which stats aren't and for me it was a uh, if you're hitting the stumps you only go for 0.6 runs per over. If you aren't hitting the stumps, you go for four or five runs and over. Well, for me, that's really important. Let's just try and hit the stumps, which obviously is so simple because a game of cricket, your idea is to hit the stumps. Um, But I was like, right, well, let's just focus on that for the season. You know, let's not care about anything else. Let's just focus on that. And then batting side of things, it was a, how many singles have we missed out on? Have we rotated the strike? Well, how's about we focus on just dropping and running and making things simple because you can you can overcomplicate players and, and me being a senior player in that team I get like com- I get confused with stats and stuff you know I've got a pretty simple mind so I think the simpler the better in, in cricket and, and obviously going back to that enjoyment it, it's really crucial how, how are you evolving as a player um you know obviously you've been at the level where you've been you play the, the, the games that you've played now you're obviously going towards, you know, probably the peak of your, of your career to a certain degree. How are you evolving, especially now with the bats, you know, the bats that they use and, and, and the grounds are probably probably smaller than, than what they should be in terms of the, the equipment that's changing. How are you evolving? Yeah, I think over this winter, I've, I've really been working on my game and, and my bowling. And I, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm bowling the best I've ever bowled. And, and I'm, I'm, turning the ball more consistently and I've sort of changed my action a little bit and it and it's helped me for the better. So I sort of went into the winter thinking, well, I'll just play cricket for Lancashire for the next 10 years and I'll be happy. But now I'm bowling the best I've ever bowled. You sort of think, well, maybe I could get back into that England side. We'll just have to see what happens. It's, it's interesting. Obviously, we, we had the prediction of New Zealand, England and myself and Paul were thinking, should we put that one in? Because we don't want to, you know, it might be a sore point, but... It is, it is the aim to be, obviously, you've just mentioned about being back in the England squad. Is that really 100% I'm going to be there, I want to get there? Or is it whatever happens, happens? How, how do you see it? Yeah, it, it's a whatever happens, happens. I think if England would have rang me six months ago and said, do you want to play again? I'd have said, absolutely not. Um, mm. Not a cat in hell's chance because you guys ruined my life. <laughs> you know, you took that contract away from me and I, I hit rock bottom. Um but now I'm enjoying it. I think if I was to play for England again, I mean, it, it probably won't happen. But if it does happen, I would have a completely different mindset, a different perspective. And even though it's your job, cricket isn't life. Like there is, you can go and have a bottle of wine at the weekend with your mates if you want to. <laughs> you don't have to be a robot. 
Yeah. What's what's the the feeling or I guess culture within cricket? Because probably again more than any other sport, you see players to and fro from counties to the the national team, then not at, not in the national team. Is it quite difficult not to hold grudges or you know harbour past feelings against some of those people? Yeah, cricket is a team sport, but it's an individual sport at the same time, um, and it it it's, it's a really hard one because. If your if your teams perform if the England team are performing, let's say the England team go into the series and they win every single game, well that England team's not going to change. But if they start losing and bowlers start doing badly, they're going to have to mix things up. They're going to have to, you know, change things around. So I'm probably too honest when I say it, but if I want to get back in the England side, I I don't want them to win because I'll never get back in if they if they win every game. You spoke about Kate <laughs> Cross. Honest honest answer. Would you like to see Kate Cross have a bit of a shocker in the series and then that means you get called up? No, not, not a chance. If it was between me and her to play for England for the next five years, I'd pick her. As long as she sent me potatoes, I can make some chips to make myself feel better. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and just last, lastly, a uh, couple of questions in terms of Alex Hartley, the commentator. What would Alex Hartley, the commentator, say about Alex Hartley, the player? Oh, gosh. I think they would they would say you you can tell when I'm in a happy place and when I'm not when I'm enjoying it and when I'm not. Um, I think I'm a completely different player when I'm leading the team. Uh, I think it really helps me. It keeps me calm. I'm one of these players that gets quite angry when I'm not captain because I want to do well and when other people aren't doing well, it really frustrates me. But when I'm captain, I'm sort of in charge of everybody, so it keeps keeps me calm. Um, so yeah, I think. Alex Hartley, the commentator, would say, like, just pretend you're captain all the time. <laughs> you talk then about getting angry, Alex. I've heard a story that you come back from a tour and you were only allowed to bowl eight overs, I think, in a game. But it was a close game. And correct me if I'm wrong, you sort of took matters into your own hands. And is that not the point where I think Kate got really, did you say she got really angry with you on the pitch? Yeah. Yeah, so we, we were building up to the season and we were only allowed to bowl seven overs each. And I think I'm just really competitive and we, we started losing. And I was like, well, three of us here are England players and these people that we're playing against are not England players. Like, why don't we just bowl? Why don't we just win this game for us? Um, and I think Crossy's point of view was I was going to get everybody else in trouble. But my point of view was I want to win. And then she was like, well, why do you think you're better than everybody else? I was like, I am. Like, <laughs> I am. Like, I'm going to bowl. So I just said, just give me the ball. I'm bowling. And honestly, she didn't speak to me for hours. I went up to her and I was like, I'm really sorry. She was like, if we get in trouble, it, it, I hate <laughs> This was all going on on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I, felt, I felt really bad because it would have been a great opportunity for somebody else to learn. And I think now that I'm captain it's a great opportunity for one of the younger girls to, to take the reins and say, you know what? She can bowl at the death because she needs to get better as well. Um, and that was a massive learning curve. And I think if Crossy ever does listen to this, she, she'd be, she'd feel proud because I've told, said she's right. <laughs> did, did you end up winning the game? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's all right. That's, that's fine. There so you go. I was right. Told you so, Kate. Yeah, that's, that's it. Um, Alex, in terms of 
the, the predictions of the future. Who who is that one person? You touched on Kate. You touched on uh, others as well. Who's that one person who's going to help you achieve your predictions for the future? So you know, obviously your podcast, your, your commentary, your playing side. Who's that one person who's going to support you through that? Gosh. Um, I think if we're going to go cricket-wise, Stephen Parry. He's just started working with us, um, ex-Lancashire bowler, left-arm spinner. Um, he's changed my game dramatically in the last six months. And I think if if I was to get that opportunity to play for England again, um, I think he would be a real crucial relationship that I needed to keep. That, that takes us on then to the, sort of like the last, the last question. We're going to ask this to all our guests. If you had to choose three things, three values that you live by to make them predictions come true, what are your three key values? Um, enjoyment. Enjoyment, enjoyment. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's too easy. <laughs> um, enjoyment, trust, and... Oh, gosh. And honesty. Let's go with honesty. Enjoyment, trust and honesty. There you go. Fantastic. Before you go then, just like I say, thanks for joining us. Um, where can we find out more then about your podcast, what you're up to? How, how can we and Alyssa's get involved? Um, so we're called No Balls, the Cricket Podcast. Um, just two female cricketers sort of having a bit of a laugh, talking about mental health, talking about women's cricket and, and trying to grow the podcast. So we're on Spotify, we're on Apple and if not, just we're on Twitter. Thanks ever so much for joining us this afternoon, Alex. And fingers crossed that all your predictions come true. Thank you very much. Thanks, Alex. Thank you. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Predictor Podcast. For more content and a chance to win signed Anthony Joshua and Fraser Clark prizes, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at PredictorPod. Join us next time where we will be joined by another sporting guest. Can you predict who it will be?